This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. with Eric's army continues. Manchester United are on a roll. An impressive performance at the new Camp on Thursday evening is followed up with a dominant, purring second-half spell that saw the Reds roll over Leicester City for a 3-0 win. Two goals from Marcus Rashford and another from Jadon Sancho. That'll do. A very warm welcome to the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. I'm Harry Robinson and Jack Tate is with me as always. Today on the show, we'll review Sunday afternoon's win, talking Rashford's two goals and a record broken, Veghorst's contrasting performance and plenty more. We'll consider how United are still in with a chance in four competitions and of course, we'll preview Thursday night. Barcelona at Old Trafford, everything to play for. We'll also talk briefly, and only briefly because there is a, a long way to go still, about the club's ownership and a potential takeover. In the middle of the show, you'll get your extensive academy and loans update. So let's get going. We could start with Rashford, Jack, but I think let's start with the third goal. We did this uh, a couple of weeks ago. Might have even only been a week ago. Um, but I think the third goal, Sancho, says a lot about the team, the quality of the build-up play there. Bruno Fernandes was, was purring on, on Sunday. And Sancho and him have a wonderful understanding, whichever one of them is on the right wing and in the centre. And for that to be the goal that wraps it up, United were just playing some some brilliant footballs. It, it was just entertaining to watch. And that's what you go to games for. That's why you watch at home or at a bar. It's entertainment. Eric Ten Hag unprompted mentioned the relationship that's developing and, and that's blossoming between Fernandez yeah. and Sancho after the game, yeah, in his interview with uh, with United themselves, actually, yeah, he was just asked about Sancho's performance and immediately mentioned how good the relationship is between those two players. And I mean, it kind of makes sense; these are two players whose games should complement each other relatively well. You know, Sancho isn't is a very different type of winger to say Rashford when he plays out on the left. He's not someone that's going to look to dance past four or five players. He's someone that is going to kind of link up a lot more heavily with his teammates maybe more reliant on his teammates, but also probably has more potential to develop those great relationships with players around him. You know, hopefully he can do it with a, whatever fullback is playing on that side. But with Bruno Fernandes, you can see that relationship is already going in a, a really positive direction. It, it wasn't just the goal. There were plenty of times when the two of them combined, but the goal was a, a beautiful illustration of what they can do the together. crowning moment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. In yeah. A, and again, not just about him and Bruno, but again, in a very, very good performance by yeah. Sancho. And that... To be fair, Sancho's, the front line at the moment as, a, as overall and the game against Barcelona and this one, and just the last few weeks really, I think we've seen an advancement in how much I think, or, or at least for us and for me, I now appreciate the, the tactical changes of the last few weeks in Ten Hag's ability to drag the most out of players by dropping Veghorst into number 10 by putting Rashford up top when and, and changing that during the game or swapping the wings and bringing Sancho into that number 10 position and Bruno outright. These are, I think, just... I think we mentioned it fairly recently as well that there's so much more value in this team now because each player has kind of two or three roles that they can play rather than just one. And the whole thing 
the whole setup of United seems more flexible. And Sancho and Veghorst in particular, and Luke Shaw, those three are the best examples of that. And it's it's an absolute credit to Ten Hag. And not only has Ten Hag done a good job at you know creating those options for himself, but he uses them very smartly as well. Mm. I think one thing that you can definitely say about him is that he he picks up and understands kind of the flow of games yeah. very quickly. And he really seems to understand which type of player he wants in various roles, depending on the state of the game. You know, you saw that against Leeds last week when, you know, playing at Ellen Road, the game was sort of getting away from us a little bit. He switches things around, puts Bruno out wide, their course to number 10, Rashford up front and Garnaccio on the left. Today, we started in a, a very similar kind of format with Bruno out, out wide, their course to 10. But then he realised that the game state, the game, the flow of the game wasn't suited to that. You know, we needed a little bit more control in the, mid, in the middle of the park. Garnacho wasn't functioning as well as we might want and Rashford would, would have been better suited out there. So he's able to change that. You know, similarly against Barcelona, he realised that Vekov is going to be needed in, in that kind of big presence in midfield. So mm. he changes it again. Like, it's not just about having options. It's also about knowing when and how to use them. And I think that is something that Ten Hag deserves a lot of credit for because he has developed those options. You know, putting Bruno Fernandes out of, on the right wing. I remember you and I and everyone being massively surprised when he first did that earlier in the season. Yeah. You know, we were sitting here thinking, you know, what, what's the logic behind this? But I think now you're starting to see what that, the idea behind that was, because I think he saw that that might be a, an option that we need further on in the season. Absolutely. Yeah. And this is something that we were kind of hoping was going to happen and just trusting or yeah, hoping, trusting, depending on the person. It was going to happen, and it and it has. And yeah, you're exactly you're definitely right because Leicester were obviously very good and very threatening early on. We'll mention De Gea in a second, and Ten Hag's halftime substitute changed the game. And and afterwards, United should have scored. We scored two in the second half. We should have scored at least another two, and it could have been three or four. It's properly just purring where Old Trafford was cheering every pass for a bit. That's to do that against an informed Leicester team with a really threatening attack. Their defence is not. Amazing. A really threatening attack. We weathered the storm, Tenag read the game and changed it all. But we should, absolutely. And particularly because of the nature of the occasion, De Gea achieving his 180th clean sheet for United and equaling Peter Schmeichel's record. And he has, there have been occasions he would have deserved to break that record even more. I can think of some at the Emirates in particular, but it, it was it was probably apt it came on a day like this where We've spoken plenty about his distribution and his claiming of crosses and there was concern at, at Barcelona on, on Thursday with that as well. But the two saves he pulled off against Leicester is what allowed United to have a performance like that and get through weather the storm and come away with a few players rested and a very good win to keep us in, th- well, we were going to stay third anyway, but to solidify our place in third and keep us just on the tails of Manchester City and Arsenal. Yeah, De Gea deserves massive credit for, for, the, for keeping us in the game. I, I We didn't start the game, well, actually the first five minutes were, yeah. were brilliant, actually. Leicester literally barely touched the ball more than it once. Was a- in that first five minutes. It was, it, it, you could kind of tell that Ten Hag had given them the message because it's so often in those Sunday games, especially the Sunday two after 2pm, 2 that is UK kickoff time, after a Thursday night game in the Europa League, you we've had those so many times before, yeah, haven't we? Sluggish. Where a sluggish start. So you, you could tell that Ten Hag had just given them a rocket in the dressing room before uh, and they came out and then suddenly you kind of noticed the, the lethargic, yeah. <laughs> lethargicness come back into the team and, yeah, and then Leicester kicked on anyway. Carry on. Yeah, yeah. And for the next twenty minutes, I mean, we barely had a touch of the ball. It wasn't yeah. quite that bad, but 
you know, we, we couldn't really get anything going. Leicester were just winning the ball back so quickly. And the the thing that I think that was troubling us most was that, and this is something I've noticed about United in, in general this season. We, I spoke about it a little bit when John McKenzie was on the podcast a few weeks ago before the Arsenal game. That even though United's pressing has improved this season, one thing that we're not quite comfortable doing yet that a lot of elite teams around Europe do really well is when we are with our attackers trying to put the opposition under pre- under pressure, the norm around Europe with the kind of the best teams is that your attackers will push a little bit inside to try and stop the ball being able to progress through to the centre-backs and into midfield. And then you sort of jump with one of your full-backs pushing onto the opposition full-back on that side. And it's something United haven't really done. And in the first half, our press was okay, actually, in terms of putting pressure on the centre-backs and the goalkeeper. But too often, it, went, and it was happening a lot on our left-hand side with Shaw. Shaw wasn't pushing up to mm. put pressure on Castagna. So it was too easy for Leicester to play the out ball onto that side of the pitch. And then we'd be left with Castagna and Tete, kind of a two-on-one down that side. Well, the other thing I noticed... all kinds of issues. The other thing I noticed from watching in the ground, and I haven't, I've, I've seen the goals uh, post-match, but I haven't watched the, the game or extended highlights properly, but it was it was blatantly obvious it was coming down that left-hand side. And, and uh, that's a, a really interesting point that I don't think I would have picked up on in the ground. But Luke Shaw's position was so obviously s- central. He was playing, and, and we have seen this quite a few times over recent weeks, but he was both in and out of possession, United that is, he would be in the centre of the pitch. And because Garnacho's defensive ability is really low at the moment, I think, and, and that'll come, it, it's fine, he's 18, but it's something he needs to improve. It just meant that Garnacho's recovery wasn't great and, and his ability to prevent that coming down the left wasn't great. And then you have Shaw eventually coming back and a, a lot of the time he would recover and would sort it out. But it just felt like he was so far central. What What do you think that was... What do you think the aim of that was? And did it change in the second half? Because then United's defence was at the other end, so it's a little bit harder to tell. Well, I think I think one of the pro- one of the, the challenges of the kind of inverted fullback role is that in its ideal form, the idea is that you push the fullback inside when you're in possession, A, to help him build up, but also so that if you lose possession, you know, in kind of transitional moments, more often than not, the ball is going to fall into the centre of the pitch. So you have another player in midfield who's able to kind of collect those balls, start a counter-press, hopefully win the ball back quickly. I think that the challenge though is if you're in a game where when we do then win the ball back and we have it, we're not able to keep it for very long, you're constantly as a fullback kind of in this little bit of a no-man's land because we're not in structured enough possession yet to properly play that inverted role and to get the benefits of it. But then when we turn the ball over, which we were doing far too often, Shaw's then kind of out, out of position because he's, he's sort of moving towards centre of the pitch to try and play that role, but then he's needed and the left-back position in defence. And, and like you said, in, ideally you'd have a winger that could sort of cover that a little bit, but Fred, you know, Garnaccio at 18. Fred was covering it a bit, but it didn't... Sometimes it was Fred, sometimes it was Garnaccio, sometimes it was Shaw that were yeah. covered. It didn't quite seem there yet. Yeah, exactly. The, I think the way that we play around the inverted fullback role is is still not quite there. Shaw's very good at it. And in the second half, you saw how he, he plays it very well when we are kind of dominating possession. But in a game where the ball is being turned over quite a lot... It, especially when we're not winning the ball high up the pitch all the time, it is, it's tough because what he has to do in possession and out of possession in terms of his positioning is so different. So when the ball's getting turned over a lot, he can get caught. It's not a criticism of sure, it's just a challenge of playing that inverted fullback role in general. Yeah. It is tricky to know what to do. If you watch Arsenal, for example, like you mentioned about Fred, it's kind of a great comparison. If you watch Arsenal, they, they play a very similar thing with Sinchenko is the one that often, often comes inside. And you'll see Xhaka as kind of that left central midfield, kind of the same role that Fred was playing today. Right. Xhaka, you often see Xhaka 
pull really far wide, both in and out of possession, partially so that he can cover that left back spot if they lose the ball. I think that's just the kind of thing where that we haven't quite developed yet as we try and play this kind of style. I guess the other alternative, and I've seen this before with uh, Casemiro, when Casemiro was playing, is that Martinez shifts out to the left and Casemiro yeah. drops into centre-back. Interesting. Yeah, that's, that, that, that's more like what Barcelona kind of do. If you, when, I don't know if you noticed this at the, the, the new Camp on Thursday. That <laughs> could, I Alba, couldn't see a thing. <laughs> about <laughs> two about miles away the from pitch. the pitch. Yeah. Yeah. Like the way they sort of do it, Alba doesn't invert, but Alba goes forward so much and then Gavi inverts. So Alba ends up kind of playing as like a left wing. Right. But the way they could sort of do it is they shift across. You end up with Marcus Alonso playing as like that left back role, like you mentioned with Martinez. And then the right back, who was a Raulho on Thursday, ends up in sort of the right centre back. Whereas United, we, right. we just, I don't think we've quite figured out how we want to tr- like kind of change our shape when we're in possession yet. We'll get there soon. The flexibility and quality that Luke Shaw's showing though is just, I mean, he's really taken on a, a position as a, a proper senior player in this team that is just completely yeah. reliable. Now, uh, there, was, there was like a 30 second period in the second half today where he went from left back to like defensive midfielder to central centre back to number 10 in the space of about 30 <laughs> seconds. It's, uh, yeah, we've looked on jealously at fullbacks doing that. For the last 10 years, I, I, the recent examples would be Trent Alexander-Arnold and Joao Cancelo, but they, Bayern Munich have, have had players like that in the past. And, yeah, Kimmich um, as and well. Barcelona Lam, and going and, all the way back. Yeah, I was thinking Lam even 10 years ago. Uh, and it's it's lovely to have to have one of those now. Serious quality. Now, 14 minutes in, we haven't spoken about Marcus Rashford properly. <laughs> 24 goals for the season. Two more than his previous season's best, which he equaled at the new Camp on Thursday. He's got 14 in the league. He's got 16 goals. I'm throwing out all sorts of stats here, but they're, they're all great. Um, 16 goals in 17 post-World Cup matches. It's just, yeah, it's a goal a game and it's a goal a chance, really. The ball from Bruno is is incredible for the first one. Fred's pass for the second is excellent as well. And the kind of thing I've criticised Fred for before, that he's He's not quite, he, he's unreliable with that ball to start the counter-attack and it, it does hold United back a bit. Um, but for both goals, it's that long time to weigh up the decisions, which we would have spoken about two years ago with Rashford. And Rashford two years ago, or one year ago, or three, would have, th- there was a time on the social where he was scoring those one-on-ones pretty much every time like he is now, but it was a small spell. Uh, the rest of the time, he would have let that time get to him, but not now. The, the glance across at Garnacho for the first goal does the keeper entirely. And then the quality of both finishes is, it's just, yeah, completely clinical. And and, and there was the third, when, uh, not a third goal, but just a ridiculous oh, bit yeah. of play of, of skill, pace and power that didn't quite get finished off. I think he'd already scored the two by then and was just, immense. when he's on that left particularly, he can, he's, he's a great option to have up front. But when he's on the left, whoa, yeah, I know that, that bit of play you're talking about where he cuts inside and he ends up shooting like straight at the keeper, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah, that was unbelievably good. Yeah, and it, I think what I love about watching Rashford at the moment is just as a fan, I I don't think I've ever had as much confidence in a player when he goes yeah. through on goal, and that that isn't something we've been able to say really about United strikers over the last sort of five or six years for a lot of the time. And look, I mean, he's he's playing at an unbelievably Good level. I still think his best position is probably off the left, but yeah, definitely. You know, even even as a striker, he's he is offering us so much more than I think we expected him to playing as a number nine. Like it, I think we all expected whenever he does play at number nine to be in either emergency situations due to injury or you know maybe to and enable us to make, make a couple of subs. But 
even in the first half, he wasn't, it's not like he was completely out of the game as a striker. You know, he's improved his game so much. And I think one thing that I've sort of noticed about Rashford, and this is a trait that I, I've noticed in Mbappe as well. And I don't know if it's something that you've noticed too, Harry, is that obviously when you're running with the ball at your feet, you you run slower, obviously, than you do when you're just running because you have to keep control of the ball. But I think what I've noticed in Rashford recently, and it's something we've seen in Mbappe for the last few years, is that I think they've kind of realised how important it is to be able to keep your speed up as much as you yeah. can. And actually now, when you see Rashford dribble, he's almost like he's got the ball under his feet and like falling over yeah. a lot of the time. Like the dribble for his second goal, like he, he, that ball, the finish, he's digging that out from under his feet. And But I think it's because it, there's such an urgency to keep their pace up as much as they can. He's sort of seeing this sort of new way of, of dribbling with the ball where the, the closeness of the control, which is maybe what we've seen like more traditional kind of dribblers, isn't maybe as as important as just having that dynamic burst and keeping ahead of your defender. Yeah, that's interesting. We need to move on. Let's do first guess the player clue and then we'll talk a little bit about Veghorst and and then uh, and then move on properly. First guess the player clue, me setting for you. There'll be three throughout the show. The quicker you get it, the better you've done for you. I'm a current top 10 Premier League player, as in playing for a top 10 side rather than in the top 10 players, but not at Manchester United. Oh. I'm a current player for a top 10 Premier League side, but not at Manchester United. Okay, well, the... Bear in mind, oh, bear in mind all the clues are a former, current or, yeah, legend yeah. Manchester United player or staff member. Well, the, there's two in my head straight away, which are Welbeck and Andreas Pereira. Are there any others? Obviously, there's not going to be anyone like City or Arsenal or Liverpool. No one at Chelsea. Yeah. Well, I will come back to that one. But yeah, those are the two in my head for now. Okay, cool. Uh, before Vokost, Sabitzer and Lindelof both crunching into challenges in that game. Lindelof was was really good, I thought. Uh, and yeah, he's cleared some some good stuff with his head, which is kind of one of his key weaknesses. But just more importantly, some some great tackles and, and recovering. Uh, for other players and and that allowed Rafael Varane some rest ahead of Thursday which is which is great Sabitzer looks I mean he's just a really clean player isn't he that's a really good late signing in the window uh, and he kind of is he's he's the cleaner in the team he mops up for other people's mistakes and yeah he's doing really well yeah I thought today was by far his best performance so far as well yeah he, he offers us kind of just what we need in that role. He's probably a bit more combative than Ericsson was playing in the similar role, which has ended up helping. Uh, yeah, because yeah. Obviously with Casemiro's suspension. Yeah. And that was the real, that was the only big weakness with Ericsson is his defensive contributions were really poor. Yeah. And he made up for it. Absolutely. But he was way too weak in the tackle. And that was, and it was fine when Casemiro was in the team and, and playing at his yeah. best because Casemiro could almost do the job of two people in one. Yeah, Absolutely. But yeah, you know, I thought Sabitzer did well. I mean, he wins the ball back for our first goal. He's the one that plays it to, to Fernandez before he plays it through. There's you know so many other occasions where he's breaking up play. And, and like you said, he's, he's just clean when he picks it up. There's a, another really nice ball that I remember in right towards the end when Wan-Bissaka came on, kind of picked the ball up in like the right, right by the halfway line on our, on our right-hand side and kind of chipped it through for Wan-Bissaka. Yeah, he's, he's, he's offered us what we needed. You know, he's not... Yeah. I think a spectacular player. He's not someone that you're watching and think, oh, we have to sign this guy permanently. But like you said, late on in the window, a sort of a relief signing for Ericsson. He's he's offered us just what we needed. Yeah. And he's making a, a decent bid so far for, yeah. to, to encourage United to make him a long-term acquisition. Veghorst should have scored. 
Absolutely. His finishing's really poor at the moment. Um, I think it will probably kick in soon enough as it happens with a lot of strikers. But his contribution to the team is pretty immense. The the, the work rate and what he gives. We've spoken a lot recently about how, and this obviously didn't happen in the first half, but it did in the second half, about how we're, we've got that ability at the moment to maintain the attack for kind of three, four, five phases of play. The ball gets cleared, it comes back in. And, and I think Veghorst is in, in, it's not just him who's making that happen, but it's also that the, the positioning of the defence and the speed and the, the uh, decision-making of the people picking up the ball is very good. But there are several occasions in that game against Leicester where United were able to continue the attack because Veghorst's runs back to win the ball or the the pressure that he puts people under. It's just, it's a whole variety of things, but his contribution is, is great. His work rate is great. He obviously should have scored. But again, another valuable signing, if not perfect. Yeah, I find it I find it hard to criticize his performance both today and against Barcelona, to be honest, too much. Like obviously he should have scored today. He had two really good chances, one in particular that definitely should yeah. have gone in. But at the end of the day, I also don't think United would have played as well as we had without him in the team, you know, and that is an important consideration here. The key consideration. You know, he, well, yeah, exactly. And and I think he does deserve credit for the work that he's putting in. And I don't just mean, oh, he runs around a lot. Like he is offering a lot to us in terms of the structure of the team, the way that he's able to start our press defensively and even in attack as well. You know, he's not the most influential player you've ever seen in terms of he's not a Bruno Fernandes, but he keeps things ticking. I think I've described him before as like, as a facilitator kind of player. Mm. And I think that is how I would describe him. You know, he's come into a team where, despite the fact that he, you know, is quite often, although he hasn't all the time, quite often going to be playing as as number nine, he is not ever going to be our main goal threat. And that wasn't, that wasn't really the hope when he came in either. You know, we know that we have other players yeah. capable of putting up the number of goals that we need to be a successful team. If he can get somewhere between five and eight goals by the end of the season, I think we'd be more than happy with that. You know, it's, we needed him to come in, be available, firstly, which is more than can be said for, you know, Martial. Yeah. And also he's played ten he's yeah, played exactly. ten matches in in one month and one day. That's um, I mean, <laughs> vital player. Yeah. Like you think about where we would be, and I know this isn't the only thing to way to kind of kind of judge a player, but do you think where we would be in the teams we would have had to put out on the pitch if we if we hadn't have signed him yeah. or if he hadn't been available? You know, we'd be in a far worse position than we are now. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I expect he'll start. Ha- having said that, obviously he does need to score. And today it did, it felt like all the players towards the end were really trying to get him in a position yeah. to score. And he, yeah. and he should have taken one of those chances. Like you said, I do have faith that it will come, but you also, you also do worry the longer this goes on, the worse his confidence is going to get. You know, nipping that in the bud very soon will be a big deal. Yeah. Cobby Minor, great for him to get some minutes. Premier League debut, very well deserved. He's worked hard for that and did well. I think there's still, I think he's holding back and that's not a problem, but he'll, he'll get there. What, what you're seeing from Cobby Minor is tidy stuff, isn't it? It's, and there's kind of a hint of that amazing technical ball control, but it's, yeah, yeah. he's holding back and hopefully we'll, we'll see it fairly soon. He he seemed even in like, he's only on the pitch, what? 10 or 12 minutes, something like that today. I felt like even in that short little time, he, he seemed to grow into the game yeah. a bit. The first sort of five minutes, he, he wasn't involved too much. But then after that, there were a couple of really nice touches on the ball. 
One in particular where he picked it up in his own half, turned that I think turned out to the right and played a good ball into short. There were some signs towards the end, but yeah, he like said it's just going to take time for him to kind of grow in in confidence playing in in the yeah, first team. Absolutely, United have won more games than any other team across the big five European leagues this season. We, I mean, we've probably played twice as many games as as anyone else in the world. Say, yeah. But, um, yeah, that is a. I mean, we're the, we've, we're the only team left in four competitions, aren't we? I think around Europe. Is that right? So, uh, I think so. Well, because most most countries don't even have four, do they? They just yeah. Have I was just thinking in, like yeah. one cup competition. I was just thinking Barcelona, but they uh, they might count the Super Cup as one, but that's over anyway. Um, and it's yeah. not really comparable. But yeah, yeah. I mean, four games in four different tournaments in the next ten days is is crazy, relentless but it's brilliant. It's what we wanted. And, and, and also you're confident going into all of them. Yeah. Including the one that's about to come up, which we'll talk about next after, well, not exactly next. We'll have an Academy and Lawrence roundup and a bit of chat on the ownership uh, before we talk about Barcelona. But before all of that, guess the player clue too. As a reminder, the first guess the player clue was I'm a current top 10 Premier League player, but not at Manchester United. Your second clue is I'm eligible for two countries, one South American and one European. Oh, uh, okay. Well, I had Welbeck and Pereira in my head. I've been trying to wrap my brains at anyone else. I'm sure there are some that I'm missing, but they're the two that I'm still kind of stuck on. I think I've got to guess Pereira and hope that he's eligible for either Spain or Portugal, as well as Brazil. So I'll go, I'll go Andreas Pereira. You're correct, but wrong in your, uh, in, in your method. He's eligible for Belgium because that's where he's born. Oh, really? I, I think he that. played for the, yeah. I think he played for their youth teams. Well, I did. I did not know at that. At least, at least one of them. Yeah, uh, Danny Welbeck is eligible for. Or, well, both of them were eligible for two countries because, of course, both of them have played for their countries. Uh, Pereira for Brazil and Welbeck for England. Welbeck was eligible for Ghana. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. If you hadn't, if you hadn't have said the South American yeah, one, I shouldn't have done. <laughs> then I, I, I think I probably would have guessed well, guessed Welbeck to be honest, because I knew that he was eligible for Ghana. Yeah, I remember him playing for England, being booed by Ghana at Wembley in like twenty early twenty ten. I guess <laughs> it would be because they were very angry. Well, are there any other United players that I, that I missed there that played for other top ten teams? I was really struggling to think. To be honest, I didn't work it out. I can't think of any others off the top of my head. Um. Even in the, I'm sure there might be some academy players. Or something. Yeah, but even in the rest of the league, I can't think of loads. Um, Jack Harrison at Leeds is one who played briefly for United. There'll be a couple at Everton, like yeah. Michael Keane, and I think most of them will be bottom ten. James teams. Garner now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm sure there are others. Well, because I knew th- I knew there wouldn't be any in the like in this. Well, I guess technically Martin Dubravka. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's very true. Anyway. Let's move on. We're going to have uh, a Patreon Q&A first, which we've got a couple of, uh, a really interesting question from Corey Lennox, actually, who says, what a week, if you had to choose, win one, lose one, what would you decide for the upcoming matches this week? Obviously, we need a trophy, oh, but this Barcelona tie feels like a lot more than Europa League qualifier. Thursday had the feel of a Champions League semi-final. I was posed this question at the pub watching the match today and couldn't decide. What do you say, boys? Well, we'll answer that in our Patreon Q&A next. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, back from the Patreon Q&A. Very interesting question from Corey there. Let's have the, uh, start with the academy. Under 18s, a 4-0 defeat to Forest um, at the weekend. Some poor defensive mistakes. Incredibly young United team, possibly one of the youngest ever. I don't know that, uh, but it, it it will be up there. Four under sixteens and four under fifteens in the squad. I mean, not much more to say than it will be a useful learning opportunity. <laughs> but yeah, not not a great uh, day. But given the the youth of the, the the ages of the players in the in the team and in the squad, it genuinely will be useful. You learn a lot from losing at that age, and that's kind of what under eighteens football is for. The under twenty ones play Monday afternoon at 1pm against Crystal Palace away from home and the under 19s or kind of a, a collection of various ages from the professional development phase which is under 17 up to 21 played against Barcelona on Thursday at Ciutat Esportiva their training ground behind closed doors Louis Jackson captain the team it was 1-1 at half time and then two quick fire goals in the second half from Barcelona gave them a 3-1 win really good that they got that because not being in the Champions League this season means United weren't in the UEFA Youth League. They did get some international experience, which was great in the Premier League International Cup against, ah, let me draw this out from the back of my head, Feyenoord, Sparta, Prague, um, PSV Eindhoven and Monaco. I think it was. I might have got one of those wrong. I might not have played PSV, but I think it was those four. Anyway, yeah, they were good experiences. It's just, uh, this is a, a problem that, when I've spoken to the head of academy, Nick Cox, before he's, he's spoken about that. If you, because of the way the English system works, you basically, until the age of 18, really, until you go into the under 21s, you only play kind of local players. United obviously do go on international tournaments, but they're kind of, they're often like five-a-side tournaments for two days or something in like the Mercedes-Benz Cup in Germany or whatever. But you just play from players kind of City and Liverpool all the time when you're youngsters and then it widens a bit to the north and then it widens further to Premier League 2 with the the full country. But you're constantly playing against players that you've played since you were eight or nine. Suddenly getting thrown against one of the best youth teams in Europe in Barcelona is is a massive uh, development opportunity and it's really good they they did that uh, Jack what's leading the loan news is it Maxi Oyedeli I think it's got to be with his first senior goal for Altrincham I mean the, the the this sort of innovative loan system that United have, have got going for Maxi Oyedeli at Altrincham is and Sonny Aljofri as well isn't it out at Altrincham where they're still training and, and Joe Hugo yeah and Joe Hugo too so still training with United playing for Altrincham I mean, it's, it, it's got to be great that United can still have some kind of control and you know playing at 
a low level of football, despite how good it is to get the experience, you can definitely see how young players would maybe develop some slightly bad habits, I guess. So it's a, it's, it's a really good opportunity for them to get some experience playing senior football, but still for United coaches to be able to have a lot of time with them. I mean, yeah, just a great moment for, for Maxi Oyadeli. Yeah, he's a he's a talented midfielder. He, he was kind of overshadowed by Dan Gore and Kobe Mainu, and he's a Cantona and a bit in the FA Youth Cup winning team. He did score in the first round against Scunthorpe and he played in every game, but off and off the bench. He's got proper good physique. He plays for Poland on the 19s. And he did. He played uh, really well in the in the Youth Cup defeat to Stoke City, uh, and he played really well at, at, away at Crystal Palace in the third round. United obviously out of the Youth Cup now went out to Stoke, but Oyedeli was probably United's best player on the on the night. He's yeah, great physicality. Really like manages to hold onto the ball really well when he's being shoved off it, and good pass, decent long shot on him. Yeah, gets into the area late on to to get some tappings. He's yeah, he's got some quality. We'll see how he does there. Uh, what else? Yeah, let's whiz through the rest of it. So Ahmed played another 90 minutes for Sunderland. They drew 1-1 with Bristol City. No go- no goals or assists for Ahmed this time around, but it was another strong performance. He almost had one really good goal after he went through about three or four Bristol City defenders, but Sunderland continued to rise up the table. They're now fifth and just behind Michael Carrick's Middlesbrough, who are now in, in third after a big kick for them. <laughs> Uh, Ethan Laird, yeah. little bit of a worrying one for, for Ethan Laird. He, he had a hamstring injury, you might remember, about a month ago. Wasn't too severe, mm. but he pulled up in midweek playing against Sunderland. Uh, he was then taken off and, and was left out of the squad against Middlesbrough this weekend. Hopefully it's nothing to worry about, but just a little concerning since it's the same injury. You've got to hope it's not a recurring problem for, for Laird. Hannibal played 81 minutes for Birmingham. He played okay. He's had a really impressive run of form recently, but... Birmingham were beaten by Huddersfield 2-1. Also in the championship, the the other United loanee playing in the championship, Alvaro Fernandez, and been mentioning that he kind of lost his starting spot to Robbie Brady. He, he got it back this week. Uh, he played the full 90 minutes for Preston in a nil-nil draw with Hull, but hopefully a good sign for him. I was We were sort of getting a bit worried that he might see really limited minutes for the rest of the season, but he did play the full 90 minutes and hopefully can, can at least get sort of half the games for the rest of the season, rotating with Brady at left wing back for Preston. Then going further down, Charlie Savage finally made his first couple of appearances for Forest Green. He came off the bench in midweek against Charlton for his debut and then he started after an impressive cameo against Ipswich. Forest Green are, are really, really struggling though. It's going to be a pretty tough situation for, for Savage. They lost 1-0 to Charlton in midweek and then 4-0 to Ipswich at the weekend. They're still fighting relegation in League One. It, in fairness, Ipswich are a very good team on the game. They, they are, And they're yeah, third in the league. But yeah, just just a tough one. It's probably going to be a proper survival scrap, I think, for for them down there. And then finally, Charlie he McNeil. Can, he can ask his dad how, how to cope with that. <laughs> and then finally, Charlie McNeil came off the bench twice this week for Newport. He did start a couple of weeks ago, as we mentioned. He wasn't given the start in either of the uh, two games this week, but he came off the bench uh, in both games. Hopefully, he continues to get some good minutes and some good experience down at Newport. Uh, Deshaun Bernard played for... Portsmouth in a couple of games and I'm pretty sure Will Fish he's easily forgotten up in Scotland but I'm pretty sure he scored another goal which kind of isn't his job as a as a uh, defender but he's good for him because he wasn't in the team for a long time up there and now is and clearly doing pretty well so that's good the you guessed the guessed the player in Andres Pereira the final clue would have been uh, just for transparency or any interest was I won Manchester United's goal of the season in the 2018-19 season. 
Oh, the goal against um, Southampton? Yeah, it was a great goal. Yeah, he scored some absolute crackers for United. Did, uh, and he's do- it's great that he's doing so well. Yeah, he is. I'm, I'm really pleased with him. He's like such a mainstay in their team too. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough, did, did Welbeck's debut goal win goal of the season that season as well? I know so that was a long time ago. You would... Was that the same? No. I don't know, but you'd, you'd have to think so. Yeah. Like the one against Portsmouth, the just... The one yeah. he absolutely belted wait, for 40 yards. That wasn't the same season yeah. as the Rooney bicycle kick though, was it? No, it was It was in the 2008 so the or 2009. No, it was before. Uh, Rooney was 20. Was that long ago? Well, yeah, well, because wait, it, was in the, it was in the kit we won the Champions League in. I can't remember whether it was 2008 or 2009, but... Wow. Yeah. Yeah, he, was, he took a while to come through because he went on... I think he scored that and then went on loan at Sunderland. Uh, I, I can't exactly remember that. Someone else will know. Yeah, the timeline gets messed up in my head. Let's talk about the ownership. Not for long, as I say, because yeah. I, it's it's fair enough that lots of people are talking about it. And uh, I would recommend following certain people like Miguel Delaney and Sporting Intelligence. Nick Harris from the Mail on Sunday is a, a great one to follow. Tariq Panja from the New York Times has his, his good moments and his bad moments, but he's, he's good on issues of ownership like this. There's plenty of others. Adam Crafton of The Athletic is a, is a really good one to follow. Uh, so those people will do what they do and have done for Newcastle and Manchester City and they will do their jobs. And I will certainly be supporting them in, in doing that because it's absolutely essential. But there is a long way to go. These This is kind of a, a very soft deadline and... Um, there's, there's plenty more to do. So I think we there'll, we'll, there'll be so much more time to talk about this in, in the future and especially when it actually happens. But what I would say is it's depressing. And I, I thought this with Newcastle as well. And I, I am very disappointed in a lot of their fan base for the way they've reacted to being taken over by Saudi Arabia. There are others who have, have done good things. But it is depressing that football fans have been left in a position where they need... They don't need to, but they're kind of expected to have a view on geopolitics in order to support their club. And that is a neglect of duty from football's institutions, the FA, the Premier League, but also governments as well. Um, but I think what fans can do is is make demands. And I think this is my key point before we get on to anything specific is whoever it is, United fans should not be celebrating any potential owner because neither of them out of the two that we're very aware of, but also the rest have, have shown what we should be getting. We should demand transparency of funds, of plans and everything else. And we should demand commitments to the support, to the supporters, to the women's team, to the academy and so on. But we shouldn't be celebrating any potential owner because United is a, an institution that can stand on its own two feet. It doesn't need to be an extension of a state's foreign policy or or a plaything for a, a billionaire, no matter who they are or what your opinion are on them. And uh, my final point is, yes, nation states have bought much of Britain's industries and buildings, and that's the point that many are making, re Qatar. But the, the point is football should be different. Um, these are historic community institutions that have to be protected. Manchester United has been at the heart of the Manchester community and the global community, the Manchester community for 120, 130 years and the global community for 40, 50, 60, 70 years. Um, And for both reasons, it should be protected more than uh, a building in London or a bank. (laughs) 
Yeah, I think I think something that I sort of struggle with and I think is a bit depressing about this whole thing is just the amount of money that it takes to buy a football club like Manchester United. It means that even in quote unquote, the good guys, like someone like a Jim Ratcliffe, you know, it, there is still so many things you could say to criticise someone like, because just having that much money necess- necessitates a certain amount of exploitation and just things that maybe we aren't comfortable with. But like yeah, you said, not, I think... In, in not necessarily exploitation of people, but possibly of land or resources or... Yeah. yeah. There's, you know, there's no sort of great way to come, come, come across, you know, five billion pounds, which is what it might take to buy this football club. But I think the point if that you win made the lottery is, in Qatar several times, as <laughs> Avi did twice. <laughs> I, I think the point that you made is the pertinent one here is that, you know, it, there's, there's no point us sort of sitting here and, and talking through all the, the possible good and bad parts about each prospective owner, because we just don't know enough yet. But I think the big thing is owners ultimately are just custodians. You know, they are, just people that are going to sit there and be part of a football club, but it is not them that we support. It's the football club. You know, this isn't the Glazers Man United. This is the yeah. fans Man United. And it, whether the fans in in writing yeah. own we, this We club, should know that more than, more yeah, than exactly. anyone else. We've supported a team with owners we hate for 17 years. Yeah, exactly. And that has to remain the focus. Like you said, Manchester United is bigger than any one person, any consortium, any family, or even any country if, if it was to go down that route. And I think regardless of who it is that ends up coming out of this as the, the owner of Man United, that is what we have to remember. And I think for me, the big thing is you just don't want... You don't want Man United to be used for a different game. You know, yeah. you want Man United to be run for its own benefit and to make Man United the best football club in the world. Yeah. Not to to benefit or, you know, deliver on some third third party purpose. And crucially, the best football club in the world does not mean winning everything. I think this is a key thing. When I visited Athletic Club in Bilbao. Uh, after a couple of days after we watched the game in San Sebastian against Real Sociedad. You just, so Bill, ba- Bill Bell's policy is famous of uh, developing their own players and only players with links to uh, the Basque country in which Bill Bell is can play for their team, whether that's growing up in the area or a grandparent sometimes would be the loosest kind of connection. And the pride that their supporters are able to have in their club is, I think, greater than the pride that I will have in United. And and that's saying something <laughs> ever because it's, so I, I think this often gets lost in kind of the best football club. It's not the most successful ones. It's the one where you can properly have real pride in what they're doing on and off the pitch. Anyway, we will talk much more about this, I'm sure. But uh, let's go back to the football for now. I've just checked, by the way, Danny Welbeck's debut goal was before he went on loan to Sunderland and it was in right. 2008. Barcelona. It was a wonderful trip away and it was a proper privilege watching that game in the new Camp. One of, it is just an, an incredible stadium. It's got some serious faults with it in, in the same way that Old Trafford does. And the away end is just miles away. But when you look over, the, the benefit of being that high up is you can see the almost the entire city of Barcelona from your seat, as well as just this, the most iconic stadium. And I, I'm delighted I got to visit. I had been before, but uh, I missed the game in 2019. 
And I was very happy I could go again now, just before Barcelona, renovate the new camp and add a roof and all sorts of other things because it won't, it won't be quite the same. And I'd urge you if you're able to visit these great stadiums before they're taken down, such as, or, or renovated, such as the new camp and the San Siro. But yeah, it was a, it was a great trip and a, and a great game. It's, it's, God, it's going to be tense on Thursday, isn't it? <laughs> Massively. And <laughs> I think we, we sort of all have this like collective memory of what it's like facing a Spanish team in Europe if you go behind. Yeah. It is, yeah. it is just the most awful experience. I think playing against that, happening against Atletico last year is sort of the perfect example. If we concede the first goal, it is going to be one hell of an awful <laughs> uh, remainder of the game whenever that comes. So I think the key for United is obviously keep things tight. You know, I, I expect us to approach the game similarly to how we did. We do have a couple of advantages in that Gavi is suspended after picking up a yellow card. Looks like Usman Dembele will still be out. Pedri could be injured after picking up a little knock and having to come off in the first game. You know, there are there are definitely positives for United and I think there are reasons to be optimistic, but this is still a very, very good Barcelona team. But I'm confident. I'm not like, I, I, don't, I don't expect us to go through and and destroy Barcelona, but I am confident and that's saying a lot. Yeah. Um, and, and you come out of the first game feeling a lot more confident than I thought I would be. Yeah. You know, going into the tie, I'm, I'm way more confident now, which I think speaks volumes about how well we played and also how fragile we made Barcelona look at times. Yeah, and to be able to bring Martinez back into the team and have that yeah. defensive quality, but also quality on the ball yeah, will be big. Casemiro and have was, Casemiro uh, and Ferran well rested. Oh, we've got some good players, haven't we? <laughs> it is. Yeah. Actually, I, mean, I was going to make this point in the the main episode too about sort of Ten Hag's rotation. We've obviously spoken a lot that he hasn't rotated very much, and that still yeah. has been true. But you've definitely seen in the last few weeks. There's sort of players here and there that have been taken out of the team. Martinez and Varane were rested at Leeds last week. You know, Varane today. There have been games on occasion where, you know, the individual player here or there has been kind of taken out and it and it is seemingly helping. Yeah, I think it's clear. It's kind of clear who he's targeting for rest. Yeah. Varane particularly. That's been, so far, has been very well managed. He obviously did get the injury. And completely understand. Yeah, he got the injury at the end of October, He but it, it, he's recovered from that. And if, if, if you can manage that and have him when you really need him, that's, um, yeah, that's really important. It's a shame not to have Anthony for this game because he does give us something else. But Sancho, fantastic. Yeah. Rashford, fantastic. Brutal. I mean, you think... I suppose, do you, I suppose do you expect it. Sancho to start and, and Fernandes be at number 10 or do you think it will be a similar setup to the, at the new camp? I think, I think that's probably his front four and then it, it gives so much flexibility because all four... You, you mean with Veghorst at number 10, you would start there? It, it, yeah. I think he'll start. I, yeah. I think he'll start those four players in attack. In what order? Absolutely no idea. I would expect. Yeah. yeah. But that's the great thing about it is it means you can adapt to what's in front of you. I think midfield is going to be the key area we can really emphasise our quality because Gavi and Pedri are going to miss the games. It's not clear yet whether Busquets is going to be back from injury for that. They've got good backup midfielders of the kind of quality of Fred and Sabitzer, players like Front Kessier, Sergio Roberto, 
So that's where, if you can dominate midfield with Casemiro and Sabitzer, and that's one of the keys. Sabitzer was uh, suspended for the new Camp, Casemiro's been suspended for the Premier League. We haven't seen those two players play together. Yeah. And it, you would think that's going to be a really harmonious partnership. So I think I'll probably go with that and drop Fred. Um, there's also the, the, you want Martinez back in, but Malassia was, oh, Malassia's just a fighter, isn't he? He had a great performance at the new Camp. Yeah, he really yeah, is. I'm really, I'm continue, keep continually warming to him. Yeah. Great, great signing him. Remember we talked a few weeks ago, this might, this might have been in the patron Q&A actually, we talked about the, the new sort of structure at United involved in, sorry, the new structure at United in charge of dealing with transfers. And we said, you know, we, we've signed good players that have worked out well, but they weren't necessarily good signings because we overpaid for a lot of them and the process wasn't good. Malassia, I think you could say is a good signing. Yeah. but you know, to be- £12 million for a player like him, like he's offered us so much this season. No, no, he's yeah, been, I fully agree. Like a breath of fresh but I air. think the point you're referring to, and I think it was in the patron Q&A for, so for, for non-patrons, the, the point was that United have signed good players, but they have either been obvious signings, too expensive or too late, or they've been so clearly linked to the manager. And Malassia falls into that yeah. latter bracket. So I agree. Yeah, so I wasn't signing. saying that to give credit to like the structure. I meant more just that like this is an example of someone you say is a good signing. Yeah, because absolutely. The actual deal was great. Yeah. It wasn't a very obvious play. It was always going to be good. And, and you know, we pay, paid 50 million for him, 12 million pounds for everything that he's brought this season is looking better and better by the game. Yeah. Barcelona in the League Cup final. What a week. <laughs> What's your... And Anfield next weekend as well. I know. I know. Wow. This really does feel like a very, uh, like a massive knife edge of a 10 days, you know, like win all four of these next games and you've gone, you know, win the League Cup, last 16 of the Europa League, would beating West Ham get us to the quarterfinal yeah. of the FA Cup. Which is a very open draw as well. Yeah. I'm yeah. literally bite, I'm, I'm biting my nails now as you're speaking. The, the tension is already, it's Sunday <laughs> evening. We've just beaten Leicester 3-0 at home. It's four days till Barcelona and I'm already nervous. But that's what you want. This yeah. is the excitement you get. For uh, We will be back after the Barcelona game on Friday morning or Friday afternoon in some form, reacting to whatever happens and uh, previewing the League Cup final against Newcastle. Um, but until then, for Jack's thoughts, you can find him on Twitter at... At UTD Tate, T-A-I-T. And you can find me at Harry Robinson 64 on the podcast itself at UTD Weekly Pod, P-O-D at the end there. If you've enjoyed the show, please leave us a review on wherever you can or share the podcast with your mates in your WhatsApp group or on Twitter or wherever. It was, uh, yeah, any of those things will help us. Or if you want to become a patron and help support for as little as a pound fifty a month, you, you know where to find information on how to do that. And that is massively appreciated as well. So thank you to our patrons as always. And thank you for listening. Have a great week. Enjoy what has the potential to be something really, really special. Goodbye. Network. 
Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.